We're reading today from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And if you have a church Bible, it's on page 1002. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Just want to invite the presence of the Lord here. He's already here, but let's just ask that we may experience his presence. He's been walking with us. Let's acknowledge he's been walking with us. Father, open up our hearts to your living word. In Christ's name, amen. Had a nice little parable picture this morning. Um, the clock isn't working up there, so at the first service, I put Norman's watch on because I'd forgotten to put a watch on this morning, and I thought, well, I've got to keep an eye on the time. 
His watch is a man's watch, and it's really heavy. Really, really heavy. And it's kind of weighing my arm down. And, uh, and I was thinking this was a bit like it was for the guys walking down the road to Emmaus. They were trying to carry with them a system that was no longer relevant. It wasn't something that fitted them. The yoke was too heavy. And um, so these two, two disciples are walking. Um, we know who one is. It suggests he was Cleopas, but we don't know who the other one was. And one commentator said that he felt that Luke may have left the name of the other one out because we can, as individual people, put ourselves in the place of the one with no name. And we can make that journey down the Emmaus Road and we can look and see and experience that passage of scripture and get the smells and see what people are around us and get the feelings that these disciples actually had about the things that had happened. And, and that's the sort of kind of Ignatian exercise in prayer and entering into the scriptures. And that's something it may be nice for you to do in the quietness of your own room at home, is to enter into this walk on the road to Emmaus. But it's presence I really want to concentrate on this morning. Luke is the only one who mentions the Emmaus Road resurrection experience. None of the other gospel narratives do that. And it's very interesting that Luke is a physician, and I think there's a lot of healing going on, and I would, because <laughs> I'm quite keen on that. But there is healing going on, a lot of healing, a lot of breaking open of inner awareness and embracing something beautiful. And that's what God wants for each of us too. And the way to do that is to experience the presence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, who is always there walking with us. So Jesus presences himself with them on the Emmaus Road. He walks with them. He talks with them. But the narrative says that they were kept from recognizing him. They were very down, verse 17 is indicating to us, and they seem astonished that this man could even be asking this question of them. You must be the only one in town that doesn't know what has gone down in these last days. They're trying so hard to process what's going on. Jesus is amazed at them and at their speech. How foolish you are and how slow to believe. Now we all center the world around our personal experience and by the choices we make, and we at least partially create a world within in which we live. And the disciples had done that, and we do it so often. We can create our world by our styles of living. We create our inner life according to what is comfortable for us and what we can cope with. And we generally only let into our world that's which we can cope with, that we can handle. So we make our coffee to our taste, flavor our food to suit us, play our favorite music, express our opinions about life, 
and associate, and I hope this isn't true of us, but at times it may be, associate only with people we like. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe. That was Jesus' words to these disciples who were centered in on their personal world and therefore could not see, and neither could they hear. And it may seem to us that Jesus spoke a little harshly to them, but it was a shake-up call. Jesus explains the scriptures. He tells the story. It was going to happen, and he tried to indicate this to them many, many times. The Messiah was going to have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. He explained the scriptures to them concerning himself. When we're full of fears, we can't make out why things are happening in our lives and to others. And we can't avoid creating our own scenarios, talking events through, trying to make sense of things. Trouble in our personal worlds can overwhelm us, and when we look at the wider world around us, it's hard to keep our eyes on the world that should be our guide in all things, the kingdom of God and of his power and his presence. However, in this Emmaus Road account, the thing we see is the active presence of the risen Lord Jesus with his disciples, though they have not discerned as yet who he is. Jesus, risen from the dead, should have supremacy in all things and in our hearts and lives. And this story indicates that it's central to our discipleship as it was to those on the Emmaus Road. It's essential to our discipleship that we discern his presence with us, in us. Walking through life, God wants us to practice the active presence of Jesus wherever we go and to let him show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus comes into our world, our lives, if we so wish it. I always think that a phrase when I read when I early became a Christian years ago um, was that he's a gentleman, he waits to be asked. So in that sense, asking Jesus in, in his power and presence into our lives and knowing his forgiveness is central to almost activating that other world within us and around us and understanding his presence is there with us. And it's a life-changing thing, it's wonderful. So he comes to change our lives, this world into his world. And when one, love, when one lives in his world, everything is different. Indeed, life in Jesus' world is so different that those who experience it describe it as nothing less than feeling like a new creation. The disciples on the Emmaus Road experienced their hearts burning within them as he spoke with them. To be with Jesus, to live in his presence, is to live in a new network of relations 
in which he is supreme. In the world he centers, Jesus is Lord of all. Every story has a finished end, a fulfillment that we cannot understand unless it is explained. Some things will never be explained this side of eternity, but what we can know for sure is that God is good and that he so loved the world that he sent his only son to suffer and to die in fulfillment of the scriptures that we might have life. Jesus explained the scriptures right from Moses and all the prophets, and he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He revealed himself when he broke bread with them and they knew him, recognized him, and returned as witnesses to his resurrection life. The reality was he indeed was, is risen from the dead. Jesus comes into our world, but he comes to change it into his world. And when one lives in his presence, his world, everything is different. In the lordship of Jesus over evil and death, we live in a recreated world in all its creative source. And living in Jesus' presence, we experience the final victory he has already won, even though that victory has not yet fully been embodied throughout our world. We know that as we look around it. Thy kingdom come, Lord. In Jesus, it has been said that we live in the beginning of salvation time, a new time, signaling a new day. And in the presence of Jesus, we're given a totally new way of living. Everything can be different, even in our old location. We do not leave the world, but we find ourselves in a new situation. Something new has been added and that gives every event new meaning. In the presence of Jesus, what was formerly a tomb of death, that's each one of us, transformed into a place of life, not only for Jesus, but for us, because God so loved the world. The change is liberating as it was for the two on the Emmaus Road, the whole world is changed. For the first disciples, the resurrection was the beginning of a radical new direction and power in the presence of the living Jesus, who promises never to leave us or forsake us. And later we see after Pentecost, the resurrection power at work in the disciples so that they were powerful, radiant, fearless they testified to what they had heard and had seen with their eyes and looked at and touched with their hands concerning the word of life this wasn't an idea or an inference that could be thought about in the world the disciples believed it to be a person they lived with and saw and heard how could such an awareness of god's presence bring anything but joy to those who experience it. So what about us? How different our own religious lives can often be from those first disciples. Their lives are expansive. 
are ours. Perhaps we find ourselves being defensive as Christians in this world. It was so that our joy may be complete that he died and rose again. And where risen and ascended, he sent his life-giving spirit so that we may do even greater works than he in his name. So often we're buffeted around by the reality of our world and our faith can often be weak, our hope uncertain. We need to feel our hearts burning within us as we hear his word explained to us. Joy comes from victory, his victory, his story. Being a Christian is not a project requiring constant effort and work rather than a joyful celebration of his victory. We don't, we don't need to spend ourselves trying to keep our fragile religious structures from coming unglued, but rather we should be rejoicing in a gift of new life that liberates us and sets us free from the world. We are in the world and we should be able to relate to all of it, but we are not of the world. Jesus changed the fleshly desires of his first disciples and he can change each one of us too. Let him come to each one of us as he did to his first disciples, breathing his peace and his power. Jesus comes to us walking so that we can walk with him. He comes to us in the action of his life to take us into that action. He comes not to tell us about God, but to be God with us, in us, taking us deeper into the life of God. He is the life. Just as walking is the only way to solve the problem of not walking, so living with Jesus is the only way to solve the problem of living with Jesus. There's nothing more exciting than sovereign God walking with us and showering his presence and his glory upon us. There's nothing more exciting than knowing Jesus and the dynamism of his life, the quickening of our lives by his life, by his presence in us, with us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45 that Jesus is for us a life-giving spirit. Everything is moving, everything is dynamic, everything is spontaneous, nothing is frozen, nothing is static, and nothing is calculated. The vacant cross and the empty tomb have vindicated his claim that the love which suffers is the love which has saved. Let's pray. Lord, as each one of us set out today, make me aware of your presence and glory. Open my eyes to your presence. In the many events of the day, prompt me to be attentive and to heed you calling me. In my encounters with others, Help me to know your love and to show your love. 
in each passing hour. Give me time for wonder, a stillness to know you, and the power of your presence. Lord, grant that I may live to your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen.